Well, good morning, church. Let me pray for us as we come to God's word. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you once more for your word read to us today, the three uh, portions of scripture. Uh, We ask that you and your kindness would speak to us today. Uh, Whether those who are near or far from you, our Lord and God, may we be transformed uh, by your word today, by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good day, everyone. A very Merry Christmas to all of you. I hope and pray that you've had a really good long weekend so far. Uh, But today, as we gather here today, I'm very conscious uh, that Christmas is not always merry and is not always happy for everyone. Uh, For some of you, this is the day you've been looking forward to all year, right? The food, the presents, the family and friends. It's sort of the high point of your year, and I totally get that, right? I love Christmas, one of my uh, favorite times of the year. There's nothing like forgetting work for just a few days just to celebrate. Uh, But I know that not everyone feels this way. Uh, When I was living away from home back when I was in uni, Christmas was always a little bit of a bittersweet season for me because obviously there's a lot of joy associated with that day, right? Uh, But it was also hard for me because it reminded me that I wasn't with my family, Uh, This was a time when they were all living overseas. I lived by myself. And so I kind of felt lost during Christmas. Everyone was celebrating, having a really good time, so many happy posts on social media. Uh, And that was always a little bit difficult for me to just see and observe. I'm not sure if you realize, uh, but both of these experiences of Christmas actually fall short of God's promises for us. Because to see Christmas as the highest point of the year can actually produce a deep sense of anxiety, right? How many of us expect like the perfect Christmas, right? The food has to be right. The presents have to be exact. Everyone has to be well-behaved. Otherwise, your mom tells you off, right? Like, do you live in a home like that where everything just has to be like clinical, just clean? Uh, The problem is the smallest inconvenience can trigger the biggest disappointment. It can be quite tense in those environments, right? Uh, Everyone's got to be perfect when the reality is very few things in life are perfect. Um, But the Christmas as the lowest point of your year can also produce a sense of worry, right? You, you, You dread that day. And it's very possible to slowly despise the people who have a really good time. It's very possible to grow a cold and bitter resentment to those who have the perfect experience of Christmas. I want you to know that neither of these are healthy responses to this season. And as I reflect on this, it became really apparent that the only way to guard our hearts against both extreme attitudes towards Christmas is by recalling the heart of Christmas the core meaning of Christmas. And our passage today, Zechariah 9, verse 9 to 10, helps us to do exactly just that. And as we work our way through these verses, I hope we can see that the heart of Christmas, indeed the heart of Christian living, is this. The way up is the way down. The way up is the way down. Uh, What do I mean by this? Well, as you come to point one with me, this is in your outlines. I'm not sure if you've realized But all of us have this innate and internal desire for upward mobility. We all want to move up in life. I mean, think of your careers, right? No one ever thinks, ah, I would love to get a demotion in 2024. I think of your incomes. No one ever says, gee, I think I'm getting paid too much. I'm going to tell my boss to pay me less next year. 
think of your social networks, right? Rarely anyone thinks, man, I want to expand my networks, my LinkedIn connections to less influential people. Almost everyone in life is looking to head upwards in life. Your goals, your aspirations, your dreams are all about moving up. And when you think about it, there's actually something profoundly spiritual about heading upwards. You don't have to be a Christian to realize this. There is an implicit or unspoken belief that moving up in life brings us closer to the sacred, to the divine, towards maybe the heavens where fulfillment and satisfaction is found. If you know your Bibles, then you might recall uh, the story of the Tower of Babel. Uh, If you remember, they said, you know, let's build a structure for what? so that we can reach the heavens. There is this sense of transcending the normal or the mortal and heading into the realm of immortality. Maybe that's where God is. Maybe that's where happiness is found. So the higher you move up in life, the closer you are to the sacred, the closer you are to immortality. That's why upwards is our desire. It's rooted and ingrained in us. But I'm sure you are familiar with the tragedies associated with being obsessed with upward mobility, right? Maybe you've heard of the saying before at work or at home, you know, flying too close to the sun. Have you heard that saying before? Uh, It actually comes from Greek mythology, where a figure by the name of Icarus and his father Daedalus escaped imprisonment. And they escaped imprisonment um, through a set of wings that they had. Uh, But Icarus became a little bit too proud, a little bit too confident, And so he soared, but he flew higher than he should have. And as he soared higher and higher into the sky, the sun started to damage his wings. And eventually Icarus fell straight into the sea and drowned. Icarus flew too close to the sun. His pride got to him, right? Perhaps you can think of others in your life who can fit this parable. You know, maybe the boss who stepped on others to get to where they're at, made a tons of enemies along the way, and they get all the way to the top of their jobs, but they've lost all their friends along the way. Flew too close to the sun. Or maybe the person who grew in popularity, but did so by being manipulative and insincere. And so they've achieved all their status of popularity, but no one really knows them for who they really are. And so they are not loved for who they really are. Flew too close to the sun. The tragedy with constantly moving upwards can be a path of pain and hurt and isolation. Maybe you are at the top of whatever field you're in and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes we want to move upwards regardless of the cost and we can lose ourselves in that process. Yet it is in some ways inevitable It's nearly impossible to shake off this desire to move up. And you know what? Our society encourages moving up, doesn't it? In fact, to have no desire to move up can be seen as complacent, directionless, without having ambition. Imagine sitting down with your work mentor. They say, where do you see yourself in five years? And say, nowhere. They think, "Mm, that manager position is not for you, right? It's almost like a vice, a negative character trait to not want to move up. So here's what we do. We either ignore the tragedies and we push through. We push through anyway, hoping naively maybe that the reward will outweigh the costs. Or we sit in confusion, waiting for someone to untangle the problem for us. Now, what does this all have to do with Christmas? Well, you see, in a surprising way, the Christmas story actually untangles the dilemma for us. Because if you pay really close attention to the Bible, you'll realize that Christmas shows us 
that the way up in life is actually the way down. That by being closer to God is not by climbing up. That satisfaction is not found in reaching the top of whatever field you're in. That happiness is not by emerging at the top of your friendship pack. That fulfillment is not discovered by being the most beautiful person in your network of people. The longing of our hearts, which we think is found upwards, is, according to the Christmas story, found downwards. Now, let me explain. You may recall our reading from Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25, which Lana read out for us. It's the story of how Jesus' birth came about. And this entire narrative is designed to show us that the birth of Jesus is what theologians call the Incarnation. That the eternal God of the universe enters into time and space to be with us. And so Matthew 1 verse 23 tells us that one of Jesus' names is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, friends, that is earth shattering. Because you see, every religion and worldview says that the way to the sacred, the way to divine experiences, the way to immortal satisfaction is upwards. If you want to experience the pleasure of transcending the normalities of life, you need to move up in life. You need to reach a higher state of tranquility. You need to achieve accomplishments that are greater than the average person. Then your heart will be fulfilled. Yet the Bible tells us, actually, the way to all of this is the way down. Because the way that God worked to bring about renewal and restoration to the world is by coming down. Here's what's stunning. Every religion and worldview says you've got to move up in life. Yet the God of the Bible, who is in the highest of heavens, actually came down for us. Down to where we're at. (laughs) We're people who want to move up. Yet God doesn't wait for us to have it all figured out. He descends and meets us where we're at in Jesus Christ. God took on human flesh to be with us, Emmanuel. Why? Well, our passage tells us that he came down to lift us up. This is the work of Jesus Christ. Perhaps you can recall our other reading uh, from today, Luke chapter 1, the way we started our service, which Selena read out for us. In fact, if you look at your outlines there, in verse 52, it says that God has brought down rulers from their thrones, from their high up thrones, but he lifts up the humble. Do you see? The God of the Bible works very differently to the rest of the world. It says that if you forsake all else for the top position, you will be brought down often by your own schemes and desires. But if you humble yourself, then God will lift you up. And in the Bible, humility before God looks like confession. It looks like repentance. It is to say, God, I know I am but human. I know that I am lowly. I know that I'm nothing compared to you. I can work my whole life to work upwards and pretend like I'm something that I'm not. I can fool the whole world, but I cannot fool you. That's an honest reflection of self. It is to say, God, I know that my default disposition is to make a big deal out of myself, to live for myself, to live without any reference to you. I naturally have no desire to live under your rule. I want to operate life on my own terms. Isn't that very honestly what drives us every single day? Uh, You see, all of these statements are statements of autonomy over and against God. And that sort of autonomy is what the Bible describes as sin. 
rejecting God's law and rebelling against God's love. It's what all of us are inclined towards, regardless of ethnicity, age, or background. And all of this is the reason for the tragedies that we see. Because if we have this sort of autonomy combined with a desire to move upwards, then of course we will hurt others. Of course we will isolate ourselves. Of course we will feel empty even when we have all of our accomplishments. Listen closely. If all you want to live for is yourself, then do not be surprised that the only person who loves you is yourself. Isolating and terrifying, isn't it? But here's the thing. What's another terrifying thing? What happens, friends, when we realize that we are all not that lovable? What happens when we realize that everything that we've accomplished is maybe in vain? What if we sometimes we wake up and we hate what we see in the mirror? What's the point of moving up when there's no one to share this with? Uh, In a very ironic way, the world's way of moving up is actually a way of moving down. Downward spiral towards disappointment, despair, and despondency. Yet as we look at the Bible, we see that the Bible's way is profoundly counterintuitive, yet understood rightly, it begins to explain our world. Because the way it works in the Bible is this, humble yourselves before God. Trust that God in Jesus Christ has the power to forgive you of that autonomous heart over and against God. Trust that Jesus himself will lift us up and bring us to God. We don't want to work our way all there on our own. We don't have to. We don't have to fight for a seat at God's table. Through our humility, confession, and repentance, Christ lifts us up. So the way up is the way down, down in humility. And that's actually the heart of Christmas. You see, everything about the Christmas story illustrates this, doesn't it? Uh, If you have any familiarity, think of where Jesus was born, in a humble manger, out in a far country, born as a helpless baby. The simplicity and humility of his incarnation cannot be missed. In the eyes of the world, this is as low as it gets. Yet it's also the perfect illustration and the means through which God himself is glorified. And this is constantly how God works. Zechariah 9 verses 9 to 10 was our last reading for today. And it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem, and see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious. But then notice how he comes. Lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Not on a chariot, not in some massive tank or a black hawk. A simple donkey. This here is prophesying the coming of the Messiah, which is fulfilled in Jesus. And every single step here is a path of humility, lowly riding on a donkey. A donkey is the equivalent of a Toyota Corolla today, right? Not even the hybrid type, like the 1994 type that your parents bought when they first migrated to Australia, right? Like by no means extravagant. And of course, If you've got any awareness of the New Testament, then you will know that this is exactly how Jesus enters into Jerusalem in the lead up to his crucifixion, which also is, in fact, the lowest and humiliating form of death. It is through his death and resurrection that he is glorified, that sin and death is defeated. 
And it is through this death and resurrection that forgiveness is won on our behalf. So for Christ's church, listen closely. The way up, his glorification, his victory over sin and death, is the way down through his humble incarnation and death on the cross. For us, church, the way up, satisfaction, fulfillment, happiness, restoration with God, is the way down. Humble admission of our sin and need for God. Trusting in Christ for salvation and forgiveness. And living humbly before God and others. This is what you could call the upside down economy. If you look at point three of your sermon outlines. And I want to invite us to briefly consider how this radically shapes our view of self, our relationship with God, and our posture towards our world. Firstly, friends, I think this upside-down economy frees us, liberates us to be completely honest with who we are. Uh, You see, one of the great strategies of the contemporary self-help movement that is so prevalent in our culture today and has in fact seeped into some churches is to convince ourselves about how great, how amazing, how awesome we are. Uh, You might be familiar with the practice called affirmations. Uh, This is different to the psychological theory of self-affirmation, which can be helpful at times. But affirmations as a practice is a new age belief. Uh, Again, it's seeped into culture. It's, It's in the top seller books in your airports. It's in some churches today. And it encourages the practice of repeating positive self statements. There is a popular book called The Law of Attractions, which basically says that positive or negative thoughts bring positive and negative experiences into a person's life. So they say, if you keep repeating, I am beautiful, I am smart, I am successful, then the practice of affirmation or the law of attraction states, you will become beautiful, smart, and successful. It's got to repeat it enough, affirm yourself enough. Now, I guess at some level, one could argue that there's nothing harmful about repeating positive statements, Right? But at another level, we also know we can't literally think or speak things into reality, right? Only God can do that. Like, it doesn't matter how much I can say I am rip, I am muscular, I am strong. It ain't happening. That's why I wear dark suits to cover up my figure, right? There are limits to this. Some more obvious than others. And so in actual fact, we may just be setting ourselves up for a bit of disappointment. But at a deeper level, the trouble of self-affirmation is that it is focused solely on who we would like to be, and it doesn't sufficiently focus or give honest voice to who we are. Because what if I don't feel beautiful? What if I look into the mirror and actually don't like what I see? What if I'm scared and not all that courageous as I like to think? Is there any space to wrestle with that? Or am I meant to bury all of these feelings and just repeat all those positive self-statements? Further, this practice subconsciously forces us to measure ourselves to somebody else's standards. Because what if I am beautiful, but not by the standards of our magazines? All of this is just a confusing space, but we feel the pressure to keep it up. The more we climb, the less connected we are with who we really are. We lose touch of the core of who we are. 
We become the people society and culture wants us to be, not who God has created us to be. Friends, could this explain the the frustrating victim mentality that we see around us? That is everyone else's problem and not mine. Maybe we're so afraid of observing and maybe owning that we could be wrong. Maybe the problem could be us. Could this explain the anxiety that so many of us carry? Like we're constantly meant to be something more. There is something deep within us that is that's excellent, but we're just too afraid to discover what that is. Could this explain the overinflated view of self that is becoming increasingly prevalent in our culture today? The upside-down economy of the Bible says this. You don't have to pretend like you are someone you're not. You can admit your flaws and imperfections. You can be honest with your mistakes. You don't need to hide your sin. You don't have to be put together or perfect. You don't need to look at a concave or convex mirror to convince yourself you are something you are not. This here is not thinking less of yourself. It's becoming honest with yourself. And friends, you can be painfully honest with your reflection, even the lowest view of yourself. Why? Because that view of self is exactly what God vacated heaven to redeem and restore. The greatest gift of Christmas is God himself who came into the messiness and brokenness of our world and your world to reunite you to himself. This upside-down economy, friends, is the foundation for true and profound honesty. You don't have to be nervous with who you are because the Bible says God came for you. Your sense of worth, your view of self, therefore no longer is tethered to your self-esteem. It comes from how God sees you. And do you see how liberating this is? A massive weight off our shoulder. And so this then profoundly impacts our relationship with God, right? Because you see, I hope you realize that your standing before God is not contingent on how impressive you are. He doesn't look at how high you've climbed up the ladder to determine whether or not you are accepted. He sees you for who you are and he says, I love you. This love cannot be bought or exchanged. Therefore, it can never be lost. You know, listen closely. I I think there is a chance that there are some of you in this room, you have convinced yourself that God could never love a person like you. You think, man, I don't even love myself. I can't even convince anyone to love me. How could God possibly love me? Perhaps you didn't feel like coming along to church today. Maybe you come with a sense of shame. Hey, here at Grace Point, we believe that our relationship with God is not contingent on what we've done, but on what God has done for us. And God lavishes forgiveness upon us. He welcomes us with open arms. He lifts us to a place of dignity and value. He transforms us from the inside and out, all because of grace. Uh, Friends, if you don't know Jesus as Lord and God, the invitation to you today is actually to enter into this upside-down world where the way up to him is the way down through your confession and trust in him. It's the way up without all the tragedies. Lastly then, this upside-down economy changes our posture as Christians towards the world. Uh, Because you see, we know that the way up is the way down. 
we therefore no longer feel the need to fight for that top position everywhere. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that Christians no longer have ambition. It doesn't mean you cannot be at the top of your organization. But it does mean that our primary quest is not to climb to the top to be served. No, we recognize that those positions of power is to serve, to love others. We don't step down on others. We don't put others down. We don't claw our way to the top. No, we take on the posture of humility. We serve others. We add value to others. And so if recognition, status, and top position comes as a result of that, then then we praise God for it. We accept it. But we are freed from the bondage of chasing and climbing. The way up is the way down. This also means that we grow a softer heart towards those whom we would consider as down. And I think that's a very important message for us this Christmas. It's, this here is not meant to be demeaning, right? Uh, but there are groups of people whom our culture consider to be lesser or more on the lower rung of society. Now, this is highly dependent on what cultures we are part of. In some cultures, the lowly, the lesser are the poor the unintelligent, the unemployed, they are considered down. It's very demeaning, but that's a cultural value. In some other cultures, the same-sex attracted, the singles, the divorcees are considered down. Again, highly demeaning and wrong. In a multicultural society like Australia, our perception of down maybe is a mix of different cultures. Quite confusing, right? Grace Point, as Christians who are now part of this upside-down economy, our posture towards them is not one of judgmentalism, is not one of rejection, it is not one of isolation. We do not keep these people at a distance and wait for them to climb up the ladders, wait for them to prove themselves worthy of love. No, we take on the incarnational ministry of Jesus. We bend down and enter into these spaces to express love, to show embrace, to express grace. We lift them up and build them up just as Christ has done for us. Christmas is the story of heaven meeting earth. When God himself enters into our space to bring us to him. Church, may our humility be a silent protest against our world's message that our worth is found in moving up in life. May our humility be a positive demonstration of God's work in our lives. And may our humility be a force of blessing and good to those who come into our lives. May the message of Christmas be celebrated not just today with our friends and family over your meals and the Christmas tree, but lived out the rest of the 364 days of the year. Church, friends, The way up is the way down. Let me pray for us. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you that you have come to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, dear Lord, that you didn't keep us at a distance. You did not deem us to be unworthy. You've entered into our space, and you've brought us to yourself by your grace. And so, Lord and God, right now, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we ask that you will continue to move us through this beautiful gospel. Bring us closer to you as we celebrate what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, let me invite you to open up your outlines. And in the middle top right section, uh, there is a reading there that I would like to read for us. 
Uh, you can read along in your mind, so that helps you to concentrate. And parents, if you've got kids out back, you can um, show this reading to them as well. Uh, what is Christmas? It is three words. God in flesh. Or four syllables. Incarnation. The gospel according to John tells us, the word became flesh and lived among us, full of grace and truth. Christmas proclaims that God has come in flesh, has come to save us all from Satan's power. Christmas celebrates far more than a birthday. Christmas acclaims the advent of messianic salvation. Christ was sent among us in order to save us. What we pay homage to at Christmas, therefore, is the ultimate fulfillment of God's saving purpose, which begins with the birth of Jesus, the Messianic Savior. God's only Son is born among us in order to save the world. This is the message of Christmas. From the beginning of time, God's saving purpose has been at work. God has raised up through all these generations. God has raised up the seed of Abraham, including Moses and Gideon and Samson and John the Baptist. Through all these generations, God has been faithfully at work raising persons to bring us the Davidic Messiah, the Messianic King, the Son of the Most High who will ascend the throne of David. Through all of human history, God has been bringing forth Jesus Christ. Now through the birth of the Savior, God's purposes will be fulfilled. God has acted to save God's people. The Christ child is born for the saving of the world. Friends, what we come to celebrate today is exactly that, that Christ's child born is born for the saving of the world. We've heard this read to us in our portions of scripture. We've sung it. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive their king. And today we are also going to celebrate this in the Lord's Supper, also called communion. Uh, Usually, Uh, We do the Lord's Supper uh, once a month, but when it comes to special occasions, we do it kind of during Easter, uh, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, right? And that's that's totally appropriate. It's very rare to do the Lord's Supper on Christmas Day. But when we think about it, the Lord's Supper is such a perfect expression of the Incarnation, that God didn't remain as an abstract word or idea He has come into our midst. He has taken on material form. Um, And so as I say, when we do communion, I want to remind us again that as real as these elements are, so real is God in this universe. He has not kept himself at at a distance, remain an idea or philosophy. He's come to be with you. So just as you receive these elements into your body, like your body has to like digest whatever is this thing, uh, so too I pray that Christ is personal for you. Now usually we spend some time in personal um, confession. Uh, today because of time, what I'm going to do is just lead us in a corporate word of confession. And then afterwards, uh, I'm going to invite Christians uh, to head up to the four stands that are available um, one, two, three, four. Um, if you are regular at Grace Point, I want you to give a hand to our newcomers who may be a bit confused with the traffic flow. Um, give them a hand. Um, you don't have to be a regular at Grace Point to participate in this. If you're a Christian, then this is for you. Uh, but if you are not a Christian, I would love to invite you to remain seated. 
Um, there's nothing awkward about it. Different people will come out at different times. Barely anyone is going to notice it. I think that's very important that you are honest about that process. Uh, firstly, because we don't want you to participate in something that has no meaning to you. It's kind of like silly, right? Participating in a religious act where you don't know its meaning. So let me encourage you as an act of love from us. Yeah, just feel comfortable staying seated. Uh, maybe you can ask your friend who brought you along, hey, what's going on? Can you tell us a bit more? Or maybe can you tell us more about what Jesus means to you? And I'm sure that they would love to share that with you. Right? I'm going to pray for us. and I'm going to lead us in a time of the Lord's Supper. Let's pray together. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you so much for uh, your love. We thank you that you are not just the word spoken, but you are the word made flesh. And so today, as we celebrate the incarnation, we celebrate the Lord's Supper as a tangible reminder and expression that you've come to weep with us. So as real as the elements are in this room, so real your presence is with us today. And so, Lord, as we see and taste and experience the gospel enacted through the sacraments, may you speak to us in a very powerful and profound way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and we had given thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. Again, in a moment, let me invite you for all who are Christians, all who trust in Jesus, regardless of denomination, uh, to participate in this. What you will find is as you walk up, you will find someone who is serving you. Uh, what they will aim to do is to call you by name. So hopefully you've got a name tag. And if you don't, just tell them your name. Um, and they will be pleased to remind you that this is the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. Take and be thankful. You can then hold on to your elements, head back to your seat as quietly as you possibly can. And when everyone has received the elements, we will then partake of this together as an expression of our unity. Okay? Again, if you are a bit confused and lost with the movements, just look for someone who looks like they're regular. They're generally, they're very good-looking ones. You can trust them, and they'll be able to help you with the process. Okay. Uh, ministers in training, can you please take your stations? And church, whenever you're ready, I wanted you to head to one of these spots um, as we participate and share in the supper together.
Church, let me invite you to peel the first layer off. It can get a little bit fiddly. So if you see someone in your row struggling a little bit, why don't you give them a hand? We are told from Scripture that all who humbly confess and trust in Jesus, all who recognize their sin and their need for Jesus, God is slow to anger and full of compassion. He forgives all who humbly repent and believe and trust in Jesus as Lord. And so, church, the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for you, preserve your body and soul to everlasting life. Take Eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you. Feed on him by faith and be thankful. Let's take this together. You may peel the next layer off. Church. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, preserve your body and soul to everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for you, and be thankful. Will you please join me in prayer? Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you do not wait for us to prove ourselves, our worth, and our value to you. Uh, You look at the mess of our lives and you say, I love you. And you've come to renew and redeem us as we lean on you and as we trust in you. And so, our Lord and God, may the heart of Christmas, the true meaning of Christmas, continue to breathe life and joy and energy and excitement as we seek to make much of you, not just today, um, not just even the year that is to come, but all the days of our life for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.